Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. This episode is brought to you by Clubhouse, the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone on every team together to build better products. Visit this URL, clubhouse or oneword.io slash 10theword for more information. We'll talk more about them during the show. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page. And for other great shows, visit engineered.network today. I'm your host, John Chigi, and today I'm joined by Miha Rakar. And oh my God, I mangled that, didn't I? Hello. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's not Hi. fine. Okay. Happy to be here. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. This is a little bit of... Um, um, I came on your show and we talked about coffee and I'm like, oh my God, I have to get you on this show and talk about coffee some more. Um. Yeah, so uh, the deal with that was like we started talking about coffee and I was like, oh, I have to edit this out. Otherwise, people will just never listen to this show again. No, 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 no. They loved it. Did they love it? <laughs> Actually, I have no idea if they did or didn't. But in any case, we scratched the surface. We barely scratched the surface. And yes, a long time ago, a long time ago, and I mean like several years ago, um, I had uh, Marco Arment on the show uh, on episode 30 and I got him back for a follow-up, which went for over an hour and a half. Hmm, there was a very long follow-up uh, on on coffee. And since then, in my coffee journey, a lot has changed and a lot has happened. And, you know, as you know, you evolve and tastes change and so on. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be a really good time to circle back and basically cover something that's become a bit more dear to my heart in recent years. And that specifically is espresso. And in the original ep- um, episodes I did way back um, a few years ago... I I listened back to them before I did the show notes for this one because, you know, I don't want to go over the same ground twice. Um, yeah. So, a couple of things that have happened since then is that uh, back then I had a uh, Baratza Virtuoso uh, grinder mm-hmm. and because at that point I'd sort of... Which got, is a great grinder, by the way. It is a great grinder. It was very, very good. Um, I don't have it anymore. I sold it, but I got another one. I've now got a Breville Smart Grinder, which I'll talk a little bit more about later. But um, mm-hmm. in the very first episode, I was still using a hand grinder. But anyway, and I think yeah, Marco <laughs> found that absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah, it is hilarious. Hey, it's it's quaint and therapeutic, but never mind that. And it's uh, it's in the back of the cupboard <laughs> for absolute dire <laughs> emergencies. And I actually had a case where I had my, my Baratza was actually, uh, the Virtuoso was on the blink and I had to go and get a replacement. The DC motor burned out and uh, I had to get a replacement under warranty, which was fortunate because it, it still had two weeks of warranty left at that point. So, I ended up getting a replacement shipped over. Uh, so, that was good. But uh, during that time, I was hand grinding and I was just remembering, uh, yeah, I think Marco was saying there is no upside. Yes, he's right. (laughs) Anyway, Anyway. I think it's fine if you're traveling or something like that and you want to have freshly ground coffee, then in in that case, I guess it makes sense. But for home, if you drink a lot of coffee, especially espresso, which is, I guess, topic of of today, uh, it, um, it, it will be a living hell. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. And so I felt like um, it's uh, it's 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 very happy at the back of the cupboard, and that's where it's staying for until an emergency, <laughs> uh, or I feel like uh, a bit of punishment. Never mind. All right. Um, uh, some of the other th- little bits and pieces I picked up along the way is um, I've also invested in a Hario um, 
uh, V60 pour over, a ceramic, the white ceramic one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still don't have a gooseneck kettle to avoid disturbing the grounds. Um, mm-hmm. But that remains the only way I can actually have a black coffee. So I do sometimes have a black coffee. Um, that's another thing that's happened in the last few years that I've actually gotten quite... Uh, I don't mind having one as sort of like a special a special treat. And I say it's a special treat simply because it takes so long to make it that if I have that time, then I'm happy to make one. And spoiler alert, I practically never have time. So I find espresso is much faster hmm. and uh, it's just as nice, just in a different way. So um, anyhow... Yeah, I wish I could say the same. Okay. <laughs> for, for me, espresso uh, takes a lot of time as well. But um, okay, yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get there. Yes. We'll get there. We will. And so the AeroPress I keep for when I go away. I take my AeroPress with me to make ni- a nice coffee when I'm on the road, and I pre-grind that coffee, and uh, it works reasonably well. Mm-hmm. But anyway, well, that's enough of the mm-hmm. non-espresso talk because I'll be perfectly honest that 95 percent, or probably more than that, actually, of the coffee that I have these days is actually is espresso. So. If I'm going to start talking about espresso, I've got to start at the beginning. And uh, I didn't actually cover any of this in the previous episode. So, this is all um, sort of uh, fresh fresh ground for me to cover at least anyway. So, a little bit of history then. So, in, uh, in 1884 was sort of the first, uh, what we think of as an espresso machine, was patented by uh, Angelo Moriando. And he had a shop in Turin in uh, northern Italy. And uh, the patent was for... Uh, a new steam machinery for the economic and instantaneous confection of coffee beverage, Method A Moriondo, which is not really a title that rolls off the tongue, but, oh, well, it's a patent. What are you going to do? The machine itself was actually built by a mechanic uh, by the name of Martina. And the funny thing is that the mechanic actually did all the work and Moriondo just sort of like told them what to do. So, I always find that a little bit, be a little bit annoying. But anyway, so... They didn't actually make a heck of a lot of these. Apparently, they only... They, so, mm-hmm. it was never mass-produced. So, the ones that they used, they were used for Moriondo's business. That was pretty much it. And the thing that's different about this compared to what we think of as an espresso machine is it was a bulk brewer. So, it made batches of espresso, not for individuals. So, you didn't like pull one shot or two shots and that was it. It was, it was a bulk brewer. So, not really genuine espresso but the concept was the same which was you know high pressure um steam forced through the coffee grinds so mm-hmm. 1901 uh luigi bezerra from milano patented an improved espresso machine but his machine had a boiler and four groups and each of those groups had a different uh, size filter in it and each filter contained the ground coffee um and that was called uh, tipo gigante and the the bezerra patent was purchased by oh geez um I'm. I'm hope I'm doing my Italian pronunciations okay. But anyway, uh, Desidero Pavoni. Two years later, and then two years after that, they started manufacturing those machines based on its design, and that was more or less the state of the art for espresso until just before the Second World War. So in 1938, um, sort of up until that point, they were forcing steam and boiling water through the coffee ground. So the problem with that, obviously, is that the water and steam was hot, so you get that burnt sort of taste. But most importantly, to me at least, there was no crema. So, all of those early machines mm. didn't produce a crema. And it was to in be 19- fair, the Italian coffee is still tastes like that, like very burnt and very dark. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no matter the machine yeah. they use. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but I suppose that the, the thing was that they, they, they learned um, in the next uh, few decades that uh, by pressurizing it, 
and maintaining that pressure, you can actually extract that that crema that I that I've come to love. And it's sort of like um, it started in 1938 when it was interesting. It's interesting. I like it when when stuff like this happens. Is the uh, there was a guy who was working in a factory, the factory technician who was building coffee grinders. So you know, obviously wanting to do more than just build coffee grinders. Um, mm-hmm. I, I struggled to find this gentleman's first name, just M. Cremonesi. So, anyhow. That's a uh, thing name. <laughs> yes. Yeah, funny, hey, Crema Cremonesi. Maybe that's it. Uh, so, maybe that's why they call it Crema. I'm pretty, oh, no, I'm pretty sure it's because it's, uh, isn't that Probably not. <laughs> the Italian word for cream or something anyway. Um, so, Cremonesi, he modified the design of the machine to include a piston pump that then pressurized the water and, yeah, since you can't pump steam, uh, the pump used water at just below the boiling point of water. So, his machine um, eliminated that burnt sort of aftertaste and it extracted that creamy sort of finish on top that we've we've come to know as the, as the crema. So, that was then the state of the art and around about that time, it sort of migrated across to the United States. It was firmly entrenched in Italian um, culture by that point and was spreading around the world. But the funny thing is that all of that was still not quite what we consider like modern espresso. And that actually started in 1961. And that was when, um, again, struggling to find the first name. Anyway, M. Fama, F-A-E-M-A. I hope I'm mm. pronouncing that right. They produced one with an electric pump rather than a mechanical pump that was a lot easier to control. But it wasn't just that. Their design, it pulled fresh water from the reservoir, pumped it through a heat exchanger... And that ensured the water was delivered freshly heated to a more precise temperature before it was delivered to the mm-hmm. head. And the operation of the head was was fantastic. It was basically, it was so good that pretty much every espresso machine since then has been based on that design. Um, but yep. yeah, it was more about the pre-infusion chamber and how it worked in the group head that was sort of, I guess, more important in many ways than the actual group head connection. Because the, the year was 1961. They called the E61 head. And yep. Yeah. And the fu- and the funny thing is, I have that group head in my uh, f- fairly recently new espresso machine, and it's still like yeah, like you said, um, most of the uh, medium to to like high end espresso machines now use the exact same design of the group head yeah. from 1961, yeah. which is sort of bizarre. I think it's just amazing because when I was reading through the development of this, it was fascinating because they, they really did try the, all sorts of different pressures and all different ways of pre-infusion, mm-hmm. like uh, how large the chamber was and everything. They really did a lot of research to make this, to get this as good as possible, to get the best possible result. And just it's a testament to how good that design was that it's still in use and it's what, 50, 60 years later nearly? It's pretty impressive. Yeah. So... The funny thing is that these days in domestic machines, you know, like you and I have got, you know, it pretty much they all use the E61, but but subtle variants, some better variants than others. Yours, I think, is far mm-hmm. more purist, um, more close to the yeah, original. Yeah, m- mine is exactly the same. Yeah, like the the group head is exactly from E61. I can I can go to Fiema and buy it and put it on mine. It's gonna work just fine. Cool. Yeah. See, I can't say that with mine. Mine's a modified E61. It's close, but it's not quite exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I also found out is that the larger commercial models, like um, I'm not. I, uh, may, I think I think some of the larger Wager ones, like the the really big ones, they use in coffee shops and so on. They use a quite a heavily modified version. It's kind of a stretch to call them an E sixty one group head, but you know, 
the the point is that there are too many differences in in the inner workings of them. Don't necessarily want to go into all the detail behind that, um, but to be perfectly honest, it's um, I just find it fascinating that 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 basic core design is still more or less in use. And the other thing about that group head design and the name E sixty one. Now I I don't know. It sounds a little bit like it. I don't know. Like it's a bit of an urban legend or something. But according to my research, the E <laughs> the E stands for eclipse. And huh. and I thought that's odd. <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah, I'd never heard that before. Yeah, sure. but the thing <laughs> is, if you do your research, you find out that on the fifteenth of February, nineteen sixty-one, there was a full uh, solar eclipse that passed right over the top of Italy. So, mm. hmm, maybe there is something to that. So, E sixty-one eclipse, nineteen sixty-one group head, pretty neat. Anyway, it's yeah, I'm going to run with that. It sounds cool. All right, so. Yeah, no, no, it definitely does. And it also looks cool, even now. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's a very distinguished look. Um, if you if you look at the these machines, they, they come from, like, various manufacturers, but they all look very, very similar because the group head is exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. So, that's um, essentially brought us up to modern espresso machines. So, I think the next place to stop is to just let's take it apart and consider all the different parts of an espresso machine, just quickly cover what all the key components are. So the probably the most boring part is the reservoir. Yeah, it holds the water. It doesn't really do much else. Um, mine, I think they most of them got like a water filter in there just to make sure that any of the uh, no gunky stuff gets sucked in through the pumps or mechanisms or boilers. And um, mm-hmm. when I have had, uh, like just in the last few weeks, we've had some really dry weather and then some wet weather. And depending upon which folklore you tr- choose to believe, uh, the ants seek re- refuge and some of them seek refuge inside your espresso machine. Seriously? Seriously. Yeah. So it's like yeah, living in Australia. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, really, guys? Come on. There's a perfectly good sink just over there. You can just you can set up home in there. But no, 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 no. You're going to invade my reservoir in my espresso machine. So I was a bit cranky there because I had to clean out my espresso machine and scoop out a whole bunch of hundreds of dead ants that had been drowned in the reservoir. And I'm like, guys, really? Come on. <sighs> That sounds horrible. Well, yes, it was frustrating because I wasn't game to. I had to. I flushed it out. I cleaned it out, and then I um I put down a bunch of um, uh like surface spray around that area around the machine. I created a um call it an invisible barrier. <laughs> so if the ants crawled across, <laughs> that was the mistake. So anyway, um yes, but now I have. It's been ant free for for about two weeks, and uh, and that's good. So anyway, never mind. Um yeah, strange problems. Yeah. Also, um, reservoir is not strictly necessary. You can plug in directly to to the water um, delivery system. Yeah, that's true. Uh, my, uh, I guess the most of the domestic machines. Does your machine have that capability, or is it just? Yeah, yeah, it does. But um, there's a huge problem if you do that. Okay. Um, you have to have some sort of filters to basically clear out your water. If nothing else, lime scale. Yeah. Um, so, so that's just more complex uh, if you want to do that. And probably more expensive as well. I know that the larger ones are definitely plumbed in. I wasn't aware of too many domestic mm-hmm. ones that you could do that. That is that is pretty interesting. I uh, there are also, I suppose, it's not unheard of in domestic appliances. I mean, you can also get um, fridges. Are, is a, probably the best example because you know you can get fridges with ice yeah. makers and uh, ice cube makers. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and uh, and and cold water chillers and such. 
Uh, I've often thought about doing that, but they seem like such a pain in the neck, so I kind of I haven't yet. Mind you, I was also eyeing off a five thousand dollars smart fridge the other day, and just thinking that's not a fridge; it's like a computer with cameras in it, and it's bizarre. And then I realized how old I was, and yeah. I just you know kept on moving. <laughs> Never mind. All right. Anyway, yes. <laughs> Next thing we just talked about the group head. Well, I'm not sure what else there is to say about the group head, but you know, it's uh, essentially the head of the. Um, it's it's connected under on the underneath side or protruding from the front uh, of the espresso machine, and we attach into that underneath uh, a porter filter, and the porter filter's got a handle on it, and it has a matching uh, a matching round bracket with some slots on it that uh, allows you to lift it up into the group head and twist it forty five to ninety degrees, depending upon the model, to lock it in position. And inside the porter filter, we put a um, a filter basket. Some people just call it a portafilter basket or a basket. And the sizes you can get, well, I think you can get multiple sizes, but I have filter baskets for a single and a double with two different um, two different uh, sizes of um, perforations at the bottom. Not sure what else there is to say about portafilters, to be honest. Um, and out the bottom of the portafilter, you've yeah, got... Yeah, no, they're just... Yeah. You can have one or two spouts. I think it's interesting. I, I've noticed that the... Uh, Co- um, coffee shops typically will have a single pour, and I use single pour a lot. Whereas uh, I, I, I tend to go with a double. Like I don't ever, but I could have got a porta filter with a single pour on it, but I don't, I don't see the point. I always make a double, a double shot anyway. So you know, yeah, as as you should, because the the baskets for single are not great because of the pressure that gets dispersed everywhere. But that's a, another topic again. Uh, but uh, you can also have the what are what is called a naked porta filter, which basically has no sprouts. It's just um, you see directly the the basket. Oh, that's right. So it goes directly through the bottom, and that is the ones that that pour out the bottom like a uh, yeah, like a. They, they are the ones that look very pretty when uh, everything is correct, and it can get very very messy when you just slightly uh, misadjust something. Cool. So yeah, so they don't actually have a spout on the bottom. So when the when the uh, when the espresso shot comes out, it just literally goes straight down. So if your shot's not the right pressure, yep. then it goes all over the place. Is what you're saying? Yeah, and even if you have like uneven grounds and there is like a, a channel link happening, uh, that thing can spray all over your kitchen. For example, <laughs> I'm sticking with not mine. <laughs> I'll stick with mine. I think. Oh my goodness! All right, fair enough. Uh, so there's a couple of little parts of the group head that I thought were worth calling out. There's the group gasket or the group head gasket gasket. Oh. Depends on how you want to pronounce it. Uh, anyway, that seals the porta filter against the group head so that it can maintain pressure. And a key part of the group head is the group screen. Some people call it the shower screen or the dispersion screen, and it's just designed to stop the well to stop the filter grounds from, I guess, pushing. It, it, it's what the filter that the grounds are pushing up against when they're under pressure. The water will come through that screen, and every so often you've got to sort of like unscrew and take that screen off and clean out any grounds that have gone back up inside them and yeah it it also has another function that the water goes to, uh, as evenly as possible on your coffee puck with with that like it, it tries to distribute it evenly cool that makes sense cool all righty um moving away from the group head to thinking like i'm group head obsessed or something um <laughs> we have the steaming wand you're a, you're a, are you a groupie i'm a groupie <laughs> that's funny oh dear no so, um, anyway, so steaming wands, uh, they figured out, hey, we're making steam. We can use steam to do stuff like heat the milk up. So, steaming wand, uh, sometimes called a steam wand or a frothing wand. Um, 
not much to say about that. Just taps off the top of the boiler and high-pressure steam goes out there and we can use that for frothing the milk. We'll talk a lot more about that in a minute. Um, then, of course, a lot of the models will come with a pressure gauge uh, or just a gauge or a shot gauge. Um, just trying to remember if your particular one is you've uh, you've got an Alex Dueta, have you, I think? Yes. Yes. Does it, yep. it has a gauge on it as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it has two for two boilers. Um, ah, okay. One for the steam pressure and one for the um, uh, yeah the, the the pressure of the, the shot pressure uh, pump. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um, last but not least, uh, the sight glass, um, which is really not that thrilling, but it just tells you how much water is in the reservoir. I just sort of throw it in there because, well, you know, it's important not to run out of water when you're in the middle of a. <laughs> Shot. Yeah, I don't have that. I have a very nasty alarm sound when the water level is low. Oh, okay. Um, Fair. But that's Italians for you. <laughs> now, now. Okay, then. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the other thing is, um, there's, uh, I guess you could say, two broad types of espresso machine in terms of the boiler. You can have a single mm. boiler machine or a dual boiler. And... My pot- and the heat exchanger, I guess, is the yeah. I suppose that's true. Third one, yeah. Okay. Um, so on the single boiler, I actually did have a single boiler there for a little while. I had a Garcia Classic, and that was a single boiler. I used it for about a year, and then I got a bit tired of it because the boiler on it was. So you, you flick a switch for pulling a shot, and it sets, warms it up to the shot temperature. And then you want to, when you want to do steam, you have to flick the switch to a different position, and it heats it up to a higher heating set point at which point then the the steaming wand will actually work. And um, the problem with that was I found that the boiler was too small when it came to actually steaming uh, milk for a, just a regular size latte. It would take like multiple minutes and you'd get halfway mm-hmm. through and it would just peter out to nothing. And um, yeah, it was very, very frustrating. You had to wait for it to reboil again before you could finish frothing the milk. It was ridiculous. So anyway, um, I say ridiculous. It's a first world problem right there, but still. Um, so I ended up selling it and getting a dual boiler. So I got a Breville uh, BES920 is the one I've got at the moment. I've had that now for two and a bit years and it's been fantastic. And um, the the difference with the dual boiler is you have two different boilers, one for the steam and one for your shot. And um, yes. And the heat exchanger basically works that uh, you, you have... Um a steam boiler, basically, and then the the channeling of the pipes is uh, such that uh, you can do basically both. So it tries to act as a dual boiler with a single boiler. Uh, so you can still have a consistent temperature, sort of, um, and also steam at roughly the same time or uh, almost immediately after. I um, So I, I meant to ask, actually, before you're Alex Stewart, what did you have before that? Uh, I didn't have an espresso machine before that because... <gasps> um, yeah, um, I, I guess okay. Let's uh, maybe we lost all the listeners uh, no. that weren't into uh, into espresso. Mm. But um, well, like uh, I, I will quote. I will <laughs> sorry. I will quote uh, James Hoffman, who said that like whenever people ask him um, what kind of espresso machine they should get for home, uh, he asks them back like, "Do you want a new hobby?" Because <laughs> Having an espresso machine at home and doing like what we're doing, it's a it's a hobby. It will take time. You will actually have to appreciate good coffee to to pay attention to it to actually get good espresso out. Otherwise, you'll just be frustrated and you will spend a ton of money um, before and and you will just yeah give up on everything and I don't know go to Starbucks or whatever. <laughs> no, don't go to Starbucks. That's a last resort, not the first. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I understand. I, I agree, and I think that it's the sort of thing that I, I just probably should have opened with this actually. Um, but the reality is, I, I came to like the taste of espresso from more from the fact that when I was out and about, everything's based on the espresso shot, and so I got used to the taste of a latte mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. based on espresso as opposed to essentially mixing milk and coffee from a from an AeroPress. And um, I, I've had the most bizarre journey, really, with coffee compared to most people. Uh, and on, honestly, uh, at least that's my perception. Um, ultimately, though, I found that the I preferred the espresso taste over um, most other forms of, of, of brewing coffee. Uh, I do still like the AeroPress um, quite a bit, but I just like espresso more better. And I do like, as I said before, a black coffee, which is a pour over uh, done on the Hario. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, and it's really nice as well. So it's it's different ways of enjoying the same thing. But I guess my the ultimate thing that I liked is I just feel like um, the, the espresso has more potential to be nice, really nice, if you can get it right. And I still think that making mm-hmm. I can make a better coffee than ninety five percent of the coffee shops you know that I would go to. The specialist mm-hmm. specialist roasters are the only exception. So if I want a really nice cup of coffee. Don't expect that at, you know, Gloria Jeans, Starbucks, Zarafas, any of the, you know, the name, any of the uh, chain stores. You can just forget it. You know, you'll never get a decent. I've never had a really nice cup of coffee from any of them. Um, you know, you go to your specialty roasters. Yes, you can. And there are some really nice ones mm. for sure. But um, they're usually hard to find or too far to go. And you end up having, you know, crummy coffee because it's convenient when you're at work. So I tend to make myself a nice a cup of espresso that I have on the way to work in the car and mm-hmm. you know, and on the weekends, you know, whenever I want to. Or like right now, just before an episode about espresso, I'm having a latte mm-hmm. because well, you know. <laughs> yeah. I have a flat I'm having a flat white as well. So so at what point did you want to get into espresso? So yeah, I um I'm from Slovenia, which is next to Italy. Um so naturally espresso is um very common here. Like it's a we we grew we um, we were sort of brought up with espresso culture all around us. Filter coffee wasn't really a thing, so people at home drink um, Cieszwe coffee. is is called Ibrik. Uh, you might also know it by, mm-hmm. uh, which is like this very very finely uh, grind, and you put it in some in like a vessel, and then you um, you boil it up, and then this is like very very strong flavor. Um, even I would say espresso like strong f- flavor. So we are used to that. And um, I yeah I started with AeroPress because it was the simplest and it's still like what I recommend to people when they say um, I want to get into into coffee. I recommend them like the setup that you had basically mm-hmm. Virtuoso or uh, Anchor Grinder. Yep. And just AeroPress and and start brewing. And this was me for like two years. Um, but then eventually, yeah, because I guess espresso was all around me and I was frustrated by how bad coffee was everywhere I went um, because we at the time did not have uh, specialty coffee anywhere. Um, we also don't have Starbucks, but like not that I miss it or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was like, okay, um, I, I want to make espresso at home. So how hard can it be? <laughs> and then I started the <laughs> then I started the research and uh, about all of this that we just talked about. So um, single boiler, dual boiler, heat exchangers, um, grinders, all of that. 
and i i was like okay if i'm if i'm seriously into this then i will invest a lot of money and just get the dual boiler dual boiler because um i know i much prefer like uh latte drinks uh flat white is is my favorite which is roughly equal amount of uh coffee and uh soft milk microfoamed milk mm-hmm. um and this is like double espresso and I was like, I want to do both, and I also want to um, make several at the time because, like, um, my girlfriend also enjoys the same kind of drinks. Um, and um, girlfriend at the time, maybe I should say, measure that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, so uh, yeah, and and if you wanna make uh, coffee and milk drinks at the same time, multiple, then single boiler is completely out of the picture. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay. Uh, so I guess dual boiler is where it's at and it was a lot of money. So then I was uh, researching for a really, really long time before I settled on the E61 group hat, um, which is nice because, like you said, it's been in existence since 1961, uh, which means basically all the parts are available and are really cheap. Um, so if anything breaks, you can repair it yourself. I can just open up the machine and everything is really accessible. Everything is simple. Like it's, it's literally just four things in there. There's two large boilers. Uh, there's a pump, there's a PID and there's a group head and Mm -hmm. just like a bunch of stuff connecting everything together and that's it. Um, so yeah, I decided for that and then I just looked at, um, various companies that were making them. I sent a bunch of emails and um, Iso uh, responded with the best offer back. So I bought the Alex Dueto for... They they just gave me like 35% discount, no questions asked. Nice. And I was like, okay, that's a, that's a nice discount. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that. Yeah. Yes, thank Take you. Take that. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole... the. So we were talking about the dual boiler thing and, and that's, that's, the, um, that's a really key point is that when I got the Breville, the BS920, it was uh, it, it also is a dual boiler, and uh, and that secondary boiler, um, you know the okay. So you so you, the primary boiler will heat up the steam to a steaming temperature, and there'll be a set water level. The steam will be at the top, and that's siphoned off for the steaming wand. Uh, and the second boiler is you know can be like you said a heat exchanger model. Um, alternatively, it could be a inter- second independent boiler for pulling the shots. And the idea is that mm-hmm. the the flow rate is is very precisely controlled. And the brew and and the shot temperature is precisely controlled to make sure that it's as consistent as possible. And uh, there's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other things that some machines will have, you know, like large large uh, uh, stainless steel blocks or um, or cast iron blocks. The idea is that it, you know to heat that up to a set temperature so that it maintains that temperature during the dura- for the duration of the shot. And um, so when you when you do start the machines, and they're all pretty much all electric pump now. So you'll hear that pump and it'll pump water from the reservoir into the primary boiler and I suppose heat exchanger if you've got the heat exchanger in there. And um, once it reaches that set level, it'll cut out. And then once once the temperature is set, the pump won't actually put pumping more water in until you either pull a few shots or you use some of the steam and, you know, you drop pressure in there. So um, I always find that I'll, I'll make a cup of coffee. When I turn it on, you hear the pump go for a little while to pump some water in and then it'll stop. And just as I'm I'm done, ready to clean up and turn it off, the pump will start up again. I'm like, okay, I'm about to turn you off. You don't need to worry about it. But all right. <laughs> so anyway, all right. So that's um, that's probably about enough about the machines for the minute. I think we should probably talk a bit about the grinder because the grinder is a big deal when you're trying to get espresso right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So 
yeah, like with with espresso, the most important things is, are uh, is I guess consistency, and this is like consistency of temperature, consistency of pressure, consistency of grinds, uniformity of grinds. Everything has to be as consistent as possible, and only then can you get like a really good espresso. Which is why it can be so frustrating because every little thing, every little adjustment can just make havoc on of the whole setup. Absolutely right. And that's why and that's why the grinder is so important because that's part of making sure that you've got a good consistent grind. Uh, otherwise, before you even put it in the machine, you're basically stuffed. You're not going to get a good shot out of it if you've got a, if you've got a, a crummy grinder. But um, before we do talk about grinders, though, I think it's uh, I might just take the opportunity to talk about our sponsor for this episode, uh, and that's Clubhouse, the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone on every team together to build better products. Clubhouse was built from the outset with agile development in mind with an intense focus on intuitiveness and responsiveness. With their web app backed by Fastly CDN, it really feels like a local app on any platform. Clubhouse delivers developer-centric tools for everything from Kanban boards to epics, milestones, cards with different card classifications for features, bugs, and chores. But it's more Clubhouse's ability to interconnect all of them together that's so impressive. Users have reported creating less duplicates. Navigation is very fast using a common board, but with as many configurable workspaces as you like to customize that board for whatever purpose you might need. Morning stand-ups for different teams, sub-teams, or all the teams, it's up to you. Ultimately, any collaborative project management software has to be as low friction as possible, and not just for software developers, but for everyone in the organization. Marketing, support, management, you name it, the lot. So everyone can contribute, and actual collaboration actually happens. Finally, the other part of Clubhouse that really shines is its ability to zoom out from the individual tasks to the overall project status that not only keeps project managers happy, but keeps the team connected to how their part contributes to the greater project and keeps them focused on what matters, delivering a result their customers will enjoy. There are others in the market, but they're not like Clubhouse. And what makes Clubhouse so different is the balance between the right amount of simplicity without sacrificing key functionality, structured to allow genuine cross-functional team collaboration on your project. Clubhouse is a modern software-as-a-service platform with seamless integrations for popular tools like GitHub, Slack, Sentry, and there's lots more. And if the tools that you want to integrate aren't available out of the box, that's okay. There's an extensible REST API in Clubhouse that make integrations straightforward. If you visit this URL, clubhouse, or one word, .io, slash 10 the word, you can take advantage of a special offer for Engineer Network listeners. Of course, you'll get the 14-day free trial, but if you sign up, you'll get two months free, and because this is a team-centric solution, this offer will work for your team, not just you. The offer is only available to Engineer Network listeners for a limited time, so take advantage of it while you can. Thank you once again to Clubhouse for sponsoring the Engineer Network. Okay, so about grinders. Um... Now, I did talk about grinders briefly in uh, on episode 30, and I just want to simply start by saying just do a get a burr grinder. Like, only get a burr grinder. I don't think there's any Oh, yeah. Debate. I mean, for espresso, you don't even have a choice. Yeah. So, uh, there are some minor variations. You can get a stainless steel one, uh, stainless steel burrs, or you can get the ceramic burrs. And some people would swear by the ceramic ones because they say ceramic you know, generates less heat. And that gives you a more consistent grind than stainless steel. I, I don't know. You also have the difference between conical and flat burrs, uh, which then again, some people will say, "Oh, flat burrs are way better," and then other will say conical are way better. But um, there was um, some podcast that I will try to find later, uh, where the um, 
CEO of Baratza was talking about that like really it just comes down to geometry of the burst and you can make any and like no matter if it's conical or flat or if it's ceramic steel or whatever other material um, you you can make a different uh, flavor profile simply by geometry sure which is insane to me like everything that they can do uh, but yeah apparently yeah I, I know that there are a lot of debates over conical versus flat but I I think the vast majority of the domestic ones are conical and um, the, the flat bursts seem to be more popular in um, the larger scale but I'm not entirely sure that I don't think it seems to make much of a difference really the consistency is is uh, seems to be more about uh, the precision of the actual burrs where they're flat or conical as long as they're they're precise and they've been well made then either is probably just as good at least that's been based on my research anyway um yeah it also depends on like how how clean you keep it uh how adjusted it is like every every especially with the small um uh like burrs like for example the barata has like even a slight uh, misalignment uh, on like uh, on off axis can produce a very uh, non uniform grind because on one side it's grinding very fine while on the other it's like more coarse and in espresso that's not good because then you have like yeah your coffee is going all over the place yeah exactly right uh, one of the other interesting things that um, is uh, the effect of uh, grinder retention mm-hmm. it's something that you know I sort of didn't be I wasn't aware of in the early days and um in any case it's like the the idea is that an amount of the grounds will not exit um the chute after grinding um and it seems to be mainly driven by electrostatic attraction and I guess one of the problems I have is because I live in a quite a humid climate it's less of an issue for me but if if you're in a drier climate it actually does it can be quite an issue and uh, that electrostatic attraction will cause those fine coffee particles to actually cling to the insides of the chute and the burrs following a grind. And it's interesting, some people would even go to the extent of spraying water onto the beans before you grind yeah, them. Yeah, I have to do that. Oh, do you really? I have to do that. Wow. Yeah, because the, the particular grinder I have uh, has uh, produces an like, extreme amount of electrostatic. Yeah. I, I can I don't know how to pronounce that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Electrostatic. <laughs> um, yes, uh, and it's uh, if I don't do that, the coffee grinds basically stick to all the surfaces around the grinder. So the the fridge, the grinder itself, the espresso machine—they're just like everywhere. So I have to um, do either like a, you, the simple way is to have um, a drop of water on your um, like a spoon, uh, and then you just. Uh, go through through coffee with it and it's really like a tiny 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 amount of water but it makes a huge difference okay fair enough so you, you put that on the beans before they go in the hopper or you put that in the yes yeah okay Be- before they go in the hopper yep okay cool so you all right interesting so i that's not just that's not saying that i actually i guess i don't need to do it exactly i i, I yeah, yeah. I, I didn't need to do it on my previous grinders ah that's, okay uh, interesting so i um in mine, what I've got because the the Breville the BS920 came as a as a uh, as a set. So you got the smart grinder as well as the uh, the espresso machine uh, in the one deal. Mm. And so mine, the great thing about mine, in, well, I say great thing about, it is that it's got a, a mostly airtight sort of um, bean hopper. So I can actually put those the entire like I can fit 500 grams, you know, 
of uh, of coffee, roasted coffee in there, and it'll keep it pretty relatively fresh. You know, not like mm-hmm. it, it's probably not quite as good as a genuine airtight sealed container, but it's pretty close. It's close enough. Um, anyway, so wetting those is probably not really practical. I think it would work if you wet them and you only put in roughly the amount you intended to grind, in which case that would be fine. Is that yeah, what you yeah, do? No, in it, yeah, in your case, that, that wouldn't work out. But um, yeah, it, it all depends on, on the grinder and what kind of um, how it's designed and how it works. Sure. Um, for example, the grinder I had before this is uh, also from Barata Sete, mm-hmm. which is just designed to do um, espresso and it weights by dose, which is great. You can just set it to 18 grams and then you press play and there's no electrostatic, no electrostatic nothing. It's just really nice, fluffy grinds. You just do uh, a simple distribution, tamp it down, and it's perfect. Okay. Uh, but with this one, it's it's more work. But I brought this on myself, so, you know. Okay, interesting. So, what I do is I only find that the whole retention is a problem when I'm changing beans. Like, if, I'm, if I've got some, I've done a grind and they're, they're almost, you know, they're, they're, they're past due, it's time for me to move on, uh, I'll do a final grind. And what I don't want is when I get fresh beans in there to have, you know, a couple of, you know, puffs of the, um, the old stuff in there mixed in with the new stuff because that'll ruin the first shot. Mm-hmm. And so, um, all, all I do is to, the way I get around any retention is I just wait 15, 30, 20, 30 seconds, whatever, after I've done the last grind, I just give that a bit of a, a decent tap on the side and then they just fall out and that's, that's good enough for me. But, um, as you say, maybe it's just the fact that your, my grinders, uh, doesn't have as much of that issue. It's probably also the humidity. That's what I've always put it down to, but, um, yeah, it, it depends a lot on the grinder. There are some, uh, grinder designs that, um, have like chambers and everything and coffee just stays in there longer. And there are other designs where there's like no retention whatsoever. So it it all depends on the particular grinder you have. So the other thing you mentioned before is the dosing on yours, and that's good because that's the next thing I wanted to mention is um, uh, a separate doser. And I guess uh, on an individual machine for domestic use, it's probably less common to have a uh, like a multi dose doser. So uh, I'm used to seeing in the coffee shops they'll usually Mazza grinders are quite popular. Um, mm-hmm. and the larger Mazda grinders will have this doser at the front. And the first time I went in, I saw one. I'm like, what are they flicking? Because there's this, this uh, like it's a black <laughs> handle. And they go flick, 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 and it goes, you know, it makes like a, a, a decent noise, a decent loud noise every time they mm-hmm. flick it. And each time you flick the doser, a, an adjusted amount is dropped into the portafilter. And yeah, it's not really, uh, well, it's slightly adjusted. It depends on the uh, how grinds are there. But uh, the problem with those is that you're always getting pre-ground coffee. So mm. if they have a grinder like that, it's usually not going to be a very high quality coffee. It's like a rule of thumb. Uh, okay, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. But um, just about what how they work firstly is the idea is that, you know, the doser starts out empty. The main grinder will fill that up to a set level, you know, maybe 10 or 12 doses mm-hmm. worth, something like that. And mm-hmm. as I said, when you flick the doser, an adjusted amount will drop into the portafilter. But the problem is that most of the, well, most of the doses will really only dose based on an approximate volume. So as you do a flick, yeah. it will it will open up an aperture for a period of, of, of time and it'll let an amount sort of like drop through from one chamber to the next Sometimes they'll have a few metal strands in there that's designed to declump that coffee because, like you said, it may not be freshly ground. It may have actually ground an hour or two before. So if you're getting a good turnover mm-hmm. in the coffee shop, then it's probably pretty fresh. 
But then again, if it's gone and ground 12 cups worth and you're the last person that had a coffee for the half an hour, that there's 11 whatever cups worth of coffee sitting there just packing down and whatever. So that can be a problem. Um, there are obviously, I think most coffee shops don't really care if it's just by volume because it's quick and time is money. So you go flick, 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 felt the porta filter, tamp, tamp, swipe off the rest. And I tell you, every time I see one of these doses in a coffee shop, there's always a mess of coffee grounds over them, like in the surrounding mm-hmm. area. It's just, it's just like there's this, it's like coffee ground mountains, you know, almost by the end of mm-hmm. the day. It's quite incredible how much they waste. Um, at least that's been my observation anyway. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. They waste a lot of coffee. And also, like you said, um, in, co- in coffee shops like that, it's all about speed. Yeah. And um, when it's about speed, like um, the, the, the also the coffee they have probably is not that expensive. Otherwise, they wouldn't be wasting it like that. Mm. Um, so that like all, all of that is to say that probably they don't have the best. You probably won't get the best espresso shot in a coffee place like that. Yeah, I I would agree with that with that assessment. And um, I, I guess that sort of leads into um, what you've got in yours because see for mine, I mine's a time based. Um, Mine's a time-based grinder. So you set a time mm-hmm. and a grind setting and it will simply grind away until the timer expires. And of course, that's mm-hmm. all well and good um, for, I suppose you could call it like shot to shot. So you can sort of like take a shot, see if you need to go a little bit longer and you can adjust the timer so that the next shot is likely to be okay. But if it's days between shots, that then there's a lot of variables. So you'll find that, you know, what was right one day will be wrong the next day. So you're forever tuning the time mm-hmm. and you're tuning the grind setting as the beans age, which we'll get to in a minute. But I guess the point is that if you really want to do it properly, you should be dosing it by weight. And some of the more expensive machines uh, have that sort of feature built into them. Other ones, uh, other people will simply say, well, I don't I don't trust the machine to weigh it. And they'll have their own, um, their own uh, weigher that'll actually weigh the coffee grounds for them. And they'll only put mm-hmm. the precise amount in there. Sounds like that's what you've got. Yeah, that's what I have to do. Uh, <laughs> but I've, I've always done that, uh, done this even in the, before I had the, the previous grinder because I just um, wanted to have the precise amount because as, as we discussed, every little thing, every little disturbance in espresso really makes a difference in the, in the end shot um, and how the uh, coffee flows and everything. Uh, but that said, most uh, good coffee shops have timer-based um, grinders, but they do spend a lot of time every day, every morning, and even like between um, in, during the day uh, to adjust the, the times um, so it, they get a consistent amount of coffee. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I remember going into a coffee shop once a while ago and he said, um, here, try this, from, try this fresh uh, Colombian whatever. I said, He's, I've just dialed it in. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what they mean yes yeah <laughs> that's the expression yeah. yes yes so um because the problem with like grinding by weight is that um it's really not commercially available yet because yeah. um it's too many factors can um uh, affect it like if you tap on the counter or whatever it will throw that scale just uh off of sync and also a problem is that if scale has to predict when it's going to be enough coffee because at the moment like if if you imagine you're grinding coffee and you just cut the engine there is still amount of coffee falling down and also still in the burst uh as as you cut the the engine yeah um so it has to predict that which means none of them is good enough for commercial use really no 
So, when we last spoke, um, uh, you you had a Bratza SETI 270, I think. Is that right? Yes. 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 So, what do you have now? You've got another... 270W. You've got... Actually, because that's, that W is the one that grinds by weight, oh. but it's exactly the same as the one without the W. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Cool. All right. Very good. So, I don't actually weigh my coffee. as It's the long way around of me explaining that. I um I don't. Oh, I do. wait. Did you did you ask me what I have now? Yes, I did. I sort of skipped that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. Uh, what I was trying to say is that uh, I had 270W, which is the one that grinds by weight. And what I have now is uh, Malkianic uh, AK43, which is, if you're going to Google it and go to any specialty coffee shop, is a grinder that you're going to see there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, very popular grinder. It was a gift to myself for uh, my 30th birthday. It's a very, very, very expensive grinder, and I do not recommend anyone to get this grinder. <laughs> it's, uh, it's insane. Um, because like yeah it's not practical i have to do more um it's uh it has a lot of electrostatic issues like there's a lot of issues with it but uh the coffee it produces is i uh, uh, sorry the grounds it produces are uh worth it okay it is uh, if if you are uh, taking this as a as a hobby like i do then it's worth it otherwise no way in hell this is never going to be worth it <laughs> was that the one you were telling me was um was hand assembled in germany is that the one Yes, ah, okay. yeah. They they supposedly make uh, 300 per month, and I had to wait like five months to get mine. Wow. And supposedly they could sell uh, over 1,000 a month, but they just cannot produce that many. Wow, okay, fascinating. Because, yeah, they're manually assembling them. And there's a, there's a video you can put in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends of mine visited the factory, uh, which is pretty insane to see it, uh, how it works. Um, so, yeah. Alrighty. Well, I think that's enough about grinders for the minute. So, I think just to describe, I think we should describe the process of actually making an espresso shot or pulling a shot, whatever you want to call it. So, just go through this step by step. Um, So, we're going to grind our coffee fresh, if at all possible, Mm -hmm. and at a nice fine grind setting. Now, the problem with that is the definition of what a fine grind is. Hmm. We'll cover that in a minute. On my grinder, that's between a 4 and an 8 on a range of 1 to 60, which really isn't very meaningful. <laughs> it's meaningful on my machine. Yeah, no, it's just, it's it's very fine and also it changes all the time. Yep. Like if the temperature changes, if humidity changes, you have to change the grind size. That's it. And, and, and the thing is, it's a balance because if it's too fine, then when it does undergo that particulate uh, compaction, it'll form a near solid layer so that the water can't really easily penetrate it to the point at which nothing will come out. But if it's too coarse, then it won't actually compact enough and then the water will just pass straight through it without holding any pressure at all. So that balance is tricky to find. And I think most grinders have a portafilter mount so you can grind directly into the portafilter. Others have got an intermediate container or a scale insert if you want to do more precise weighing, if you're into that sort of thing. Or sometimes they're extra fancy and have a little have a little wire built into it. Um, anyway, so when you're done weighing, if that's what you're going to do, then you can carefully put it in your portafilter um, or filter basket, I suppose you should say. Um, so distribute those grounds as evenly as possible in the filter basket. Um, some people just tap it on a bench. Other people actually will twist a, you know, like a, 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 I don't know if you've seen the, like a little flat grounds distributing kind of, it's like a flat piece of, well, I've got a flat piece of aluminium 
designed to sort of make sure mm-hmm. that that's packed down, that's as even as possible, and you can... Yeah, grind distributor, although yeah, yeah. that doesn't work really really well because it only distributes the top layer. Yeah, uh, exactly. I find tapping it sort of helps settle it a bit more before I actually tamp it. Yeah. And, I mean, tamping is basically just, you know, like pressing it down and uh, tamping the coffee grounds in the portafilter with a tamper. And I'll talk about tampers in a minute. But uh, then you clean off the edges around the portafilter basket to make sure there's no grounds that come between the group head gasket and the filter basket. Then you attach to the machine. Um, When you pull the shot, some machines will have a pre-infusion stage. The good ones do anyway. Um, And if so, for a settable time, mine's set to the default. I've never modified this. Uh, I can, but it's set to seven seconds. And the set pressure on mine, I'm pretty sure I can't adjust the set pressure unless I hack my machine. (laughs) But never mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's set to one bar, which is fourteen point five psi. Um, and once that uh, pre-infusion phase is over, because um, uh, during which time that the grounds are essentially they're pre-wet or pre-moistened, and that's my understanding is that sort of helps pre-compact the coffee, letting it swell slightly, and it closes the gaps and it allows an easier extraction yeah. under pressure. What's your, yeah. what's your, that's the idea behind yeah, it. Yeah, that's sort of the idea. Um, and then once that's, once that time has expired, then you actually have the main shot pressure. And the main shot pressure that's applied in my case, I have target a pressure of about eight or nine bar, which is 116, 130 mm-hmm. psi. And mm-hmm. at basically, I have an end to end time of about 30 seconds. So it's about a 20, 25 second shot duration, I guess, if you think about it under pressure. But if it's not actually holding pressure, so like if I've got a, a bad shot and it's just it's not pressurizing, then I'll get to you know like seventeen, eighteen seconds. I'll just, I'll just stop it. Um, it'll probably taste like rubbish, but you know sometimes if I'm desperate <laughs> for caffeine, I'll just drink it anyway. But you know there'll be hardly any crammer, and it'll just be a bit blah and flat. So um, anyway, assuming it was a nice good shot uh, when you're done, release the porta filter from the group head, and you ditch the uh, the puck and. Uh, and wash it out. And if it's been a good shot, then it'll be a nice solid puck when you when you tap it out and uh, wash it wash it out, and that's that. Um, thoughts, comments? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, um, yeah. All right, cool. So, of course, nothing's as simple as it seems. So, you know, some <laughs> some points. I heard this somewhere. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. know. You I heard so, so a few points about the shot itself, and this is the thing. That's, there's a lot of debate over. So, I'm curious what your thoughts are. But the ideal shot temperature range. Mm. Now, I used to pull shots at 92 degrees Celsius, which is 197 Fahrenheit. But I found that when I increased that to 94 degrees Celsius, that's about 201 Fahrenheit, I much preferred that taste. It, but there's mm. one exception. If it's a full city roast coffee, like it's literally roasted to an inch of its existence... It's not quite charcoal, but it's so close to it. Um, in which case... You have to throw that coffee away. But just, no, don't drink that. <laughs> well, well I, I actually was buying this cheap coffee from uh, from Costco that was literally Starbucks roasted to an inch of its life. It was, yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. If, you, if you're making espresso at home, just like buy quality coffee. That's like number one. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But I mean, I just I actually did drop the temperature to 92 and it came out drinkable. But I hardly make espresso out of that anymore. What I do do is I do a coarse grind on that and I use that for making a cold brew because I find that in a cold brew, that actually helps give it a little bit more flavor. Um, And I do do cold brews from time to time, especially in the summer like it is now. 
uh, it's yeah, it's nice to have an iced coffee made with a cold brew because it's just got a it, it's not as, as harsh of a, a take uh, a, a, as harsh of a taste when you're when you're having a cold coffee. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah, generally speaking, I don't either. No, I actually go to a specialty roaster and and grab my my coffee from there. It's uh it's much nicer. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I think if you if you're in this world already, like if you're making quality coffee at home, like yeah, don't skimp on on your coffee. Like buy quality locally roasted coffee. Yeah, totally agree. Or roast your own, um, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I'm not doing that. No, I mean me not not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, that's what I said to Marco last time. But he said, yeah, don't start. Don't start. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm just iron off this machine. It's only it's like 495. I could I could I could probably make it work. I'll save money in the long term on green beans. Anyway, um, yeah. not doing it yet. Okay, <laughs> so um, when I say a shot, that's another thing that's interesting. A shot is sort of, in terms of volume, I think generally it's accepted that it's about 30 mils, 30 milliliters uh, for a single shot and maybe about 60 mils for a double shot. Um, yeah, it, there's there's so many definitions for this and then yeah. you have the um, espresso and ristretto and lungo and all that and every every coffee place has a different definition also there's a huge difference between cultures like what uh, italians call uh, lungo or ristretto is completely different from what specialty coffee shops call um, espresso or same goes for cappuccino and latte and all that like Mm. um, drinks in italy if you order by the same name you'll get something different yeah now that's true that's a good point Uh, i guess i uh, I te- when I'm making a latte, it's generally based on you know a standard shot, but ultimately, it kind of it is what it is. I I used to I actually way back when bought a uh, a pair of uh, measuring glasses, and the idea was that I put one under each side of the uh, of the spout underneath the portafilter, mm-hmm. and that way I could measure more precisely how much coffee was in each shot. And it, it was good because if you got the the mix right, you could say right, well, it's all dialed in nicely, so I'm getting almost exactly thirty mils in each side. And these little measuring yeah, glasses. Which, uh, so, yeah, for, for me, way more um, uh, precise and also a, a way to, to do it better, I guess, to, to get uh, higher consistency, which, again, will get you higher quality in the long run, is to just get some good scales. And um, technically, you well, for like the basic recipe is like one to two. So for every one amount of coffee you get, uh, so uh, of coffee grounds, you get two amount of coffee liquid out. So for example, what I do for a double shot is roughly 18 grams of coffee in, so coffee grounds, and roughly 36 grams of liquid coming out. And I want to have that in like 20 to 25 seconds window. So that's for me a recipe for a double for example and um okay i think in italy it's quite common to have like nine grams for a single shot and yeah they usually go for like 30 mils or something like that but yeah again it all depends and it's also like the the way why i prefer to do it by weight is because it depends so much on on your coffee on your actual coffee grounds um, it depends on if it's lightly roasted, if it's darkly roasted, where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, it can significantly affect the amount of uh, water or liquid that's coming out, which is weird to me. But yeah, it has a has a huge effect. Like um, it's not always going to be thirty mil. It's going to vary quite a lot, even by the same weight. Yeah, absolutely right. And I guess I just mentioned it because uh, for me, that sort of was my rough rule of thumb. But the reality is that, yeah, you know, I bought these little measuring glasses. They're about $4 each and I stopped using them pretty much, you know, 
for, for mm-hmm. measuring shots because I sort of reached that point where I actually just watched the the pressure, the back pressure gauge um, when I'm pulling the shot. And I can tell by the color of the uh, espresso coming out of the machine if it's that nice sort of golden rich color um, if that, as it's coming out, if it's giving that nice sort of waving, wavy sort of pulsing bubble kind of, you know, you can tell how much is in the bottom roughly of the cup because I always use the same cup, either, well, one of two cups anyway. So I, I don't actually mm-hmm. care so much about the volume anymore. And if I get the shot dialed in nicely, it really doesn't matter. Um, but in any case, um, bottom line is that um, when it comes to dialing it in, all I'll do is if if I see that as the shot's passing through, if it's just not getting up to pressure, so it, it'll get to like maybe one, two, three bar, and then just just not go any higher, then I'll reduce the grind one one step. And if the shot pressure does, if it does actually get up to pressure, but it won't maintain that pressure during the shot, if it just sinks sinks backwards, then I'll increase the grind time in like point two second increments depending upon how much each subsequent shot takes. So what I've found is that when I get fresh coffee, if it's coffee I've never had before, like specialist roaster, I get something that I haven't tried before, it could take two or three shots to get it drinkable. And it kind of sounds crazy, but if I'm in a fussy mood, I'll even tip the dodgy ones out. I won't actually try and drink them, if depending on how snobbish mm-hmm. I feel at the time. You know. Oh, no, I I completely understand. Two, two to three is actually is, is fast, is good. I, I sometimes go through more coffee to get something nice. Yeah. Other mornings, I'm just so desperate for caffeine, it doesn't matter. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just drink it, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, oh, straight through. No, too bad. Mm. Ugh. That doesn't matter. Caffeine. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. So, um, got to talk about Tampa briefly. I know we talked about this briefly last time. I still haven't invested one in, in, in one because you mentioned... Um, the barista hustle uh, Tampa. You still using that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I love it. Um, it's it's an Australian company, um, and yeah, it's it's great. So yeah, the the way the way it works is that it tries to not disturb the ground when you pull it out. Yeah. So the thing that I like about it is that there's a few things I like about it. First of all, it's quite light. It's a lot lighter than mine. It, it eliminates that vacuum effect, like you say. When you actually remove the tamper, it won't actually draw the the the, the grounds back out of the basket as you're removing it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing I like about it is the base is replaceable. So if it ever gets damaged, you can just replace the base. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Anyway, for the moment, I'm still using the standard tamper that comes with my uh, with the Breville, but I've been eyeing that one off and. I'm yeah. I'm one decent paycheck away from just like ca- caving in and buying it. <laughs> well, it's not com- compared to other grand, uh, other tempers because like oh, another thing, everything in espresso um, is more expensive than you think, and there's a lot of companies that make even more expensive versions of that stuff. Very true. Uh, Very true. Like number one thing, and there are tempers that are like three hundred dollars, which is absolutely insane. But there are companies producing them. There are baristas buying them. Exactly. So, uh, when I was in Melbourne, I ran out like a few months ago, I ran out of time to visit these guys. They were um, a little bit too far away for me to get to at the time, but I, was, I almost went out of my way. I almost got an Uber and went there, but I just, you know, I, <laughs> anyhow. Yeah, they're cool guys. And um, Matt Berger is also a person I look up to um, because he he complicates when when uh, he needs to and he tries to keep it keep it simple where it has to be simple so 
his like V60 recipe is the one I always recommend to people because it's very simple. Um, it's very easy to replicate. It will give you good results every time. And uh, yeah, so yeah, he's, I think, founder of the company. But yeah, yeah they do a couple of products now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So speaking of Barista Hustle some more is that they actually had a really great blog post. I actually had a couple, but one in particular about particle sizes and grind size. And one of the things that mm-hmm. you mentioned before um, is exactly what I want to want to talk about now. And that is, you know, different different levels of roasting, different kinds of coffee beans from different parts of the world and the differences that it makes when you're actually trying to grind them and and the results you get as a result. So, mm-hmm. I had for the longest time sort of scratched my head and said, oh, it's a bit of humidity, it's the, the beans aging and so on. But I never really fully appreciated why until I found this article, I was reading through it and I'm like, aha, that makes sense. So, uh, just let's talk about just grind sizes real quick. And mm-hmm. the definition of grind sizes is a bit you know, vague. Yeah. But I did find a good reference site, which is, um, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. So, we'll start with an actual bean and work our way down. So, an average whole bean diameter, roughly six millimeters. Uh, a cracked bean, about three millimeters diameter. Coarse grind, be about 1.5 millimeters. A regular grind, one millimeter. These are particle sizes as we're getting down. A drip grind, 0.75 millimeters. A fine grind is 0.38 millimeters. And an espresso grind right at the bottom is 0.2 millimeters. Now, I do know that there are other fi- other even more fine grinds depending upon, you know, certain things. But for the purposes of we've reached espresso, stop in there. Um, now, I don't actually have any specific information or a micrometer to test the particle size of my grinder. So, I can't tell you what a 4, 5, 6, 7, whatever is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say micrometer. That's not actually how they measure it when they get the particles down that size. But, you know, hey, whatever. It's also difficult because uh, even the best grinders, like the most expensive grinders, will not produce a completely uniform grind. Sure. Like you have grind sizes all, all over the place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, it's um, you're going to have a mixture of particle sizes and it's the consistency of those sizes that is the is the issue. Like you said way back earlier in the episode, it was, it's all about consistency. And so, mm-hmm. uh, the funny thing that I found ultimately though is it's all about a relative adjustment based on the first shot you pull on a fresh batch and how you tweak it from there. So, we're dealing more in, in relatives than absolutes. So, it maybe doesn't matter quite so much if setting four on my grinder is... 0.21 millimeter diameter or something. It's like, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So, the, this Brewster Hustle article is amazingly technically detailed and I won't try and mm-hmm. replicate all of it. I just wanted to pick out some of the key points. So, one of the things they mention is uh, that affects the the consistency of the grind. Starting off is, is moisture content. And this is going back to when the beans are actually dried. So, water quenched beans, for example... Um, they're generally softer than air-cooled ones. And in the end, the air-cooled beans will dry more evenly and then that will produce a more consistent grind. So, that's the first step. The second thing is the roasting level. And you mentioned this, that lighter beans, as in lighter roast, they'll grind more evenly because ultimately they are less brittle. If you think about uh, cellular structure, as cellular is like a chemical structure, like chemicals, like a lattice structure, like a crystal... And as you grind more, you drive that moisture out. And as that happens, then the structures become more brittle and they will fracture. And when they fracture, that's when you're going to get a whole bunch of smaller particles that aren't intended to be released being released as part of that fracturing. So, Mm -hmm. Also called fines. Yes, the fines. Exactly, yes. 
And so those darker beans, as, as they get darker and darker roast, they get more and more brittle and they'll produce a much larger number of those fines, the fine particles, and that'll lead to inconsistencies in your grind. So that's why a lot of the specialty roasters will tend to err on the side of not going down a full city roast. They'll go down and they'll stop at a so like a, a a light brown to a darker brown, but it will not be it will not be black. In fact, I can't remember ever going to a specialty mm-hmm. roaster that pushes it that far. Yeah, that's that's one reason. The other is also that the taste is more pronounced. So specific taste of origin is more pronounced when you don't go as dark. Like the darker you go the more everything tastes like dark coffee roast. Yeah, you're tasting you're <laughs> tasting charcoal more than you're tasting coffee. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Um, which, don't get me wrong, sometimes I want to have a slap in the face coffee like that, but just not as often as you'd think. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, well, uh, like it, it has no more uh, caffeine no. um, if it's darker roast. No, that, it just tastes darker. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. And in fact, darker roast coffee, it's a common fallacy is it's not how dark it is doesn't affect the caffeine content. It's uh, the, the contact time with water. If you want the most caffeine extraction out of your coffee, go with a cold brew. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's how you get real caffeine. Yeah. Same same thing with teas. Like people think that uh, black teas have more caffeine than white or green, but nope. Exactly the same tea leaves, just different procedure. So caffeine is the same. Yeah, that's it. Alrighty. Um. So brittleness. Uh, talk more about brittleness, and then the brittleness of the beans based on their density. And this is the one that I hadn't um learned until recently. So ultimately. You know, we hear about different breeds of coffee. I say breeds, um, you know what I mean? Uh, varieties. Varieties. Varieties, yes. That's the better word, varieties of coffee. So, like a Robusta, for example, <laughs> can grow closer to sea level, whereas your Arabicas will glow, grow better higher at higher altitudes. So, the interesting thing is that the higher the altitude, the denser the beans are as they form, as they grow, and that's due to the air pressure and the oxygen concentration at higher altitudes. And that higher density, that higher density in the cell structure, and hence those denser structures will produce less fine particles when you're grinding. And that leads to a more consistent grind. So, that's interesting. Uh, the age mm-hmm. as well. So, the age of the bean, the older it is, the a, a lot of it comes back to moisture. The more brittle it becomes, and that'll lead to more fines and ultimately a less consistent grind. Uh, and in terms of greens uh, in beans, like green beans will last for six months or so if you store them well. Uh, roasted beans will last two to three weeks before you can consider they're kind of past due. But uh, I found the two weeks is kind of the line in my experience anyway. Yeah. Yeah, if you keep it in the hopper, then yeah, I think even two weeks is pushing it. But yeah. if you keep it like in a dry and like uh, in, in the bag that it, they came uh, with, usually at yeah, three weeks is... is um, Okay. Yep. Still gonna be fine. Yep. Absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, so the last part of it I found interesting as well, which I'd heard heard about, and uh, is the uh, the temperature of the beans when you actually grind them. So one of the conclusions that that barista hustle article reaches is that it says that um, if you're getting inconsistent grinds after you've done a lot of grinding, like you've made multiple cups of coffee. They suggest that the, one of the reasons that you get that inconsistency is that the beans are actually soaking up heat from inside the grinder, from the from the burrs itself, from the grinding action mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. Uh, such that that heat will actually make them less brittle and more pliable, and then you'll get a coarser grind than you intended to, even if you haven't changed the grind setting. That was interesting. 
Yeah, I also I also know of some grinders, um, like really really high end grinders, where you can control the chamber temperature of of um, um, the coffee coming in. So maybe that's the reasoning behind it. I I, mm. I always thought it was a fad, but apparently there might be something to nice. it. Nice time for an upgrade to my grinder. That's it, um, <laughs> or not? But yes. So fascinating, fascinating. Okay, so. Yeah, in general, um, articles on Barista Hustle and they're like, if you, I, I recommend um, if you're into coffee. Actually, if you've listened this far, you're uh, apparently into coffee. So I recommend following them on Instagram and on like also their blog. They write really, really good technical articles and they try to verify everything like in the lab or at least try to make uh, makeshift equipment to verify yeah. it. They are not those people who just say, "Oh, like do this. This will always produce better results, no matter what." Like they try to back up everything they say. Oh yeah, and that's what I like about them. What, what I like about them is that they they the way they approach coffee is a little bit the way I approach things as well, which is to say, you know, they get excited about like the detail and the mm-hmm. article. Mm-hmm. One of the articles I've got linked in there, they actually say, um, "Okay, so we put this through a spectrometer to measure the um, average particle density, and we use these laser refractions of these wavelengths to do the calculation. And now we get some fantastic data. Look at this! And they've got chart after chart after chart, different blends, different particle size consistencies, statistical mm-hmm. plots. And I'm like, oh yeah, these guys are <laughs> these guys are hardcore. So it's if finding this sort of thing fascinating, then yeah, definitely check it out. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, there's another uh, Australian company uh, called Socratic Coffee uh, who does the same things. A lot of um, analysis of different grinders, and they're comparing the grind distribution, how many fines, how many, what kind of particles each grinder produces, and they try like different. So the same grinder but different burrs. Um, and it's just it's fascinating. It really is. And also, again, a lot of a lot of data, a lot of charts. Cool. All right. Well, we'll uh, try and put a link to that in the show notes as well, actually. I haven't come across that one, but that sounds like it could be worth checking out. So, all right. Um, we've talked a lot about pulling espresso shots. We've talked a lot about the machines, the history. Um, but there's one part of this that, you know, you have, uh, you, you prefer a, uh, a flat white. I actually prefer, I prefer a latte. But, you know, the differences between them are subtle enough. But the fact is that um, the foam, the microfoam and latte art, it's a thing. And I almost, I thought to myself, oh, should I, shouldn't I? Because you can argue that latte art is sort of not really about espresso, but it kind of is enough. And I, and I think that it's, it's interesting because what, what, as, soon as, as soon as you do actually have a crema, then it's sort of possible you can mix that with the milk and make artwork. And, you know, to get, you know, to get good at doing latte art, which... Well, which I personally suck at, but that's okay. Um, you, you need a few things. And the thing that I learned early on is I tried a bunch of different milks. Like I had um, uh, full cream milk, uh, light milk, almond milk, different ones. I've, I've tried uh, soy and so on. And starting mm-hmm. off with the right milk is is crucial. And so ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, good old-fashioned dairy like lactose whole milk is basically your best bet but even then there is a huge variety of different uh, dairy yeah. milks oh, yeah. like you wouldn't believe it's insane like once once you get in this world and start experimenting like you have so different results and everything says milk 3.2 fat on it but it's completely different that is absolutely spot on you're right uh, but for the purposes of this <laughs> let's not go into that 
um, because obviously different different parts of the world, different even different cows, right? Um, it all is it's all slightly different. So I actually um, have found that um, a lot of the nicer milk uh, is also some of the more expensive milk uh, comes from some of the uh, the private farms up in the mountains up in behind where I live, like. Uh, uh, so, like Mulaney Dairies, for example, um, their their full cream milk is fantastic for for latte art, but it's also quite expensive. It's like three times the price of the uh, of the generic brands. But in any case, never mind that. Um, so, not wishing to- nothing is as simple as it seems. No, it isn't. That is true. Um, so, anyhow, okay. Uh, so, talking about how else to get good latte art. So, what I've learned through now having two different machines is that having a steam boiler that can give you consistent pressure and a well-regulated steam flow, that makes a big difference. Uh, like I said before, I had a Garcia Classic single boiler. Steam would run out partway through. It was all just ugh, horrific. So, anyhow, never mind that. The Breville's a heck of a lot better. It only takes about 45 seconds now for me to heat up uh, enough for a regular coffee. That may sound like a lot to some people, but that's a, that's like three times quicker than the Garcia was. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how, long, how long does it take you to um, heat up enough for your flat whites? Mm, it's less than that. I don't know. So, the, the temperature coming out of my steam wand, steam wand is uh, 125 degrees Celsius. Okay. Um, uh, which is pretty hot, and it it all depends on that. Like the higher the temperature, the the quicker it's gonna be done because the pressure is also gonna be like higher. Sure. Um, everything matters, but um, I don't know. Like yeah, thirty seconds, something like that. I I, I don't. Okay. I don't know. Never timed it. Uh, to be honest, uh, I hadn't timed it until more recently. But yeah, uh, just, let's just say that it's quicker than two and a bit minutes. That's what it used to be on the gosh. It was in it. Oh was, yeah, yeah, that was horrific. <laughs> that was just horrific. Uh, okay, so the next thing that I learned in my in my uh, frothing journey journey <laughs> is that the steam tip, the actual end tip that the the steam comes out of, can make a huge difference. It kind of sounds a bit weird. Uh, the Garcia only had a single hole um, in, in its tip, and it sort of mm. did okay, but it wasn't a very good foam. It was kind of large, lots of big bubbles in it. It was a bit you know clumsy. Uh, the Breville's got three. And the interesting thing is that there's two slightly larger and one slightly smaller. And hmm, and they come out at different angles. So, it's uh, it makes a very, a, a much more consistent microfoam is what I found. But uh, you can get, obviously, models of two or, two or three. Yeah, well, with, with mine, I actually got uh, four Steam One tips. Wow. Um, and I could pick and choose, but like I just uh, choose the default one and never looked back um, because uh, even even with milk, there were so many varieties that it was hard to find um, which one suited me best. Okay. But yeah, well, I um I've really enjoyed the one on on the Breville, but then again, maybe it's because I was coming from the Garcia and it was so terrible, so anything would be better. But anyhow, <laughs> never mind that. Uh, okay, the other thing that's interesting is the temperature of the milk when you start, and I found this out by accident, and then I did my research, and I'm like, oh, okay, that 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 makes sense. So one time, uh, I had left the milk out. I just you know poured it into the the jug or the pitcher, whatever you want to call it. Um. And I'd gone off and been distracted. You know, kids, wife, family, life happens. And you come back an hour later and the milk's at room temperature. And I went to froth the milk and obviously it took less time because it was warmer to start with. I'm like, oh, that, that sounds like an economical way of doing things. Anyhow, uh, the foam was terrible. Uh, nothing like yep. the rest of it. And that's when I learned that, oh, you actually, if you start frothing the milk, 
uh, between 5 degrees Celsius and 10 degrees Celsius, you will actually get a far better microfoam. And the reason is that the proteins in the milk are more tightly bound at lower temperatures. Mm. And so, yeah. And so, when you introduce steam and you force that air into the milk in the first few seconds, that's the key moment really that creates... That uh, has the biggest impact into how much foam you get. Yeah, there are two phases of making the the milk. Is the the first one is just aeration, which is introducing air to like uh, to the milk and forming those bubbles, and the second one is just like um, letting it twirl twirl around and mix everything together and warm it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and like even even if you do this in a different way, so if you just if you first twirl it around and then for like the second step you introduce bubbles, you're going to have horrible, horrible milk. Just like huge bubbles and then uh, at the bottom just like flat milk. Yep. Flat milk. Um, so yeah, everything um, everything pays. Uh, yeah. Well, everything matters. Yes, it does. So, so once – exactly. And once you, once you cross that 37 degrees Celsius, roughly 100 degrees Fahrenheit or whatever, it's pretty much over if you're going to try to introduce foam. It's just not going to work. You just, you're just mixing it and bringing it up to temperature. Like you said, that's like the second stage, bringing it up to temperature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so once I learned that, I, um, I realized, right, I've got to get the right milk and I've got to start it off from the fridge so it's cool. And I'll do the aeration bit at the beginning and then I'll just get a nice swirl going. So – Right, let's button that bit up then, the milk technique. So, first of all, we're going to um, fill our steaming jug or pitcher. I mean, some people call it a pitcher. I think it's a North American thing anyway. Yeah. With milk. Uh, Mm. uh, Give the steaming wand a bit of a blast onto the counter just to get rid of any water that may have built up in there, a liquid, so it's all steam. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll blast that onto onto the counter top or just the dishwasher rag, whatever. Uh, lower the wand into the jug while it's off and then just open the lever as the tip is just under the surface and then open that lever up to full steam, full flow. And yep. I'd leave the tip in just below the surface to inject a lot of that air into the milk and then obviously the longer you leave it in, the more foam you're going to get. And then once you're happy with how much foam you want, maybe, I don't know, three or four seconds, depends, then put the wand in deeper into the milk to the middle or the bottom of the jug. And that's sort of at that point where you've got to get that angle, either the angle of the jug or the angle of the wand uh, or both. Uh, and that'll to create a swirling sort of vortex to mix it together and circulate that milk nicely to ensure any bubbles you've got in there are nice and evenly distributed. The heating's nice and even. Now, I cheat. I say I cheat. I, I don't know if it's cheating or not. I, I think a barista would call it cheating. But me, I just say I'm precise. I use a milk thermometer because I... I Mm. Just want to be precise to remind me when it's up to temperature. What's the delay on that? Oh, the lag's not too bad. It's um, probably I don't know, maybe one or two degrees out. So when I when I turn the steam off, um, it'll rise another one or two degrees afterwards. Uh, oh, before it comes to temperature, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's not too bad. The one I had was too slow, so when I tried it, like I had to turn it off way sooner. And then I was just like, no, I can, I can just do it by hand. It's going to be fine. Was it a digital or an analog one? Uh, analog. Yeah, okay, yeah, because that's what I've got. I thought about getting a digital one too, but um, a digital one because it looked more precise. But then I'm like, well, lag is lag mm. and it's probably mm-hmm. not, not going to be worth the investment. It's like four times the price. It's like, nah. Yeah, if, if you're going to invest, just buy some digital scales. This, this will make a bigger difference than how warm your milk is. Yeah, oh, that, truth. Absolutely right. So, in any case, I um, I don't like a stupidly hot latte, to be honest with you. I, I tend to stop between 60 and 65 degrees Celsius. That's 140, 150 mm. degrees Fahrenheit. 
Um, some people will have it even as much as 10 degrees hotter than that. I don't, I can't, I, I just, I'll burn my yeah, tongue. Yeah, also the, the foam, um, and, and you can smell it differently. If you ever go above that, you can smell that it, it, like, it smells differently and also the foam is not as nice and consistent. Yeah, it also sounds different. Like when the steaming under the... Yep. Yeah, you can actually hear that transition. As you go past about 65, you can hear this sort of like a deeper rumbling sound almost, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, because it's starting to sort of, I guess, boil or approaching boil. Yeah, exactly. And something inside there is tearing apart. I'm like, don't, don't hurt the milk. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing is baristas, they won't do that. They'll just use their hands. And they'll say, yep, yeah. feels hot. And I'm like, are they, have yeah. they got heat calluses or have they lost feeling in their hands? Because I swear I tried that and ow, that gets hot on my hand. Oh, no, you don't You don't hold it. You you touch it. And I, I guess it's just with uh, experience, you, you sort of learn when it's around the point that you want it. Yeah. Well, I, I've, I've watched a, a baristas do it a few times and, and some of them will literally hold... Because it's a stainless steel jug. There's no insulation on this thing. And they'll hold their hand on the outside of that jug. Mm-hmm. And uh, it gets up to... It must be up to like 60, 70 degrees Celsius. They'll turn they'll, they'll t- turn off the wand and they're still holding it. I'm like, how are you holding that? No, no, no. That has to be colder. Otherwise, their skin would get burned. Like I said, I don't know if heat calluses are a thing, but they seem to have them anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so when you when you're done, when you're up to temperature, or you're you're trying to predict if you're about sixty and you want to hit about sixty five, when you're a couple of degrees ahead of that, close off the wand, remove the jug, and then just give the wand a quick blast to clear out any of the milk that may have stuck in the nozzle, and then wipe that wand down as quick as you can with a wet cloth and mm-hmm. clean off that milk mm-hmm. residue because it will set like concrete and. I have mm-hmm. scraped that off. Clean it immediately oh, yeah. and clean it well. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Because a couple of extra seconds cleaning it now will save you hours of scraping that off later. Yep. Ugh, yep. learned that the hard way. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, I mean, I just bought some, like it was $3 for a pack of three dishwasher cloths and they're just like a, mm. like a cotton dishwashing cloth you know it's like three bucks for a pack of them and mm. I, I i know i bought it on aliexpress yeah. some like microfibers meant to like for for glasses maybe like yeah. they're really small but they're perfect for for this that's super and i had like five pack for a dollar or something like that. Uh, okay you got my you got the microfiber that's like super fancy okay yeah well you know okay, dish- it looks fancier <laughs> i guess <laughs> Oh dear. So anyhow, um, so finally, so we've now we've got our milk, we've got our espresso shot. So finally, to make the artwork. So um, first things first, you swirl the espresso shot. That's something that I I've learned just by watching baristas and so on. And the idea is that you get a nice consistent sheen uh, on it, and it gets mm-hmm. rid of any bubbles that you may have had in the espresso shot before you even pour the milk in. Um, so then switching to the milk. In the milk jug, if you've got larger bubbles, you can kind of tap the, the jug lightly on the counter. Um, I've seen some some people whack it too hard on the counter and then it splashes up and gets them in the face. Mm. Um, and when I say some people, I may be referring to other, like maybe myself. Anyhow. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that. exactly. I know exactly what you mean. Let's leave it at yes, that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, and anyway, so then you can swirl it around as well. Same kind of thing. But you could probably do a little bit more vigorously because if you've got more froth in there, then you've got crema. It's it's a little bit more effort on there, but that's okay. And once you've done that, you're then ready to pour. Then you just pour the milk in slowly, 
at first uh, you can sort of like not break the surface as much as you can and just like keep it as pristine as possible and then towards the end slow down you can start making pretty patterns with the foamiest stuff foamiest that's not really a word anyway the most foamy part uh, at the end <laughs> or you know if you can make pretty patterns that's great or if you're like me you can make horrifically bad patterns and pretend that it's art because even crap is considered art and that's fine so anyhow, mm, well, I sent you a picture of uh, what I'm drinking right now, so maybe you can put it in in the show notes. But like, I try, I try to make uh, some some art. Cool. Um, but I, I think uh, a lot of this would come better in um, video form rather than podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, if this, if you find this interesting, just yeah, uh, there's a ton of YouTube clips on how to how to steam milk and how to pour latte art. Very true. So, um, the, I guess a couple of points on the, on the latte art, just final points on it to wrap that up, is um, latte art doesn't change how it tastes. And um, yes, that's a, some, a beautiful sort of flower latte art you've got there. So, very nice. Um, uh, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Better than mine. I'm not going to show you a photo of mine. I, I couldn't anyway because I've already drank it, so it's too late. Um, but it was terrible, believe me. Uh, anyway. And I always think it looks very wasteful when it's a takeaway and you just put a lid on it. It's like you're hiding the beautiful latte art. The barista's just made this beautiful flower or a heart or, you know, I think actually the uh, they refer to the uh, the fern or the rosette or the rosetta, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Is it rosetta, yeah? Yes, rosetta, yeah. yeah. You have rosetta, you have slow rosetta, you have tulip, uh, you have heart patterns. Yes. Uh, you have, uh, there are like a couple of standard ones. There's a swan also, yep. which is really nice. Mm-hmm. So, that's some of the more, but, more yeah. popular ones. Uh, another ones that I've come across as well are the uh, the latte etchings where usually they'll get like a coffee stir and they'll make like a, a crosshatch pattern sometimes. Um, they'll they'll etch like a, a, what looks a little bit like a mm-hmm. flower. And, and with cappuccino, mm-hmm. sometimes they'll get even, even more fancy and they'll actually put a stencil over the top and then they'll just... You know, tap over the top the uh, the chocolate powder, and then they take the stencil off, and you've you've basically got you know whatever artworks you've got a stencil for, which is kind of yeah, but that's meh. Whatever, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't care for that. I'm not saying that you have to care for it, but some people do. Yeah, no, it's just it. That's cheating. That's <laughs> legitimate cheating. Like un- unlike having a temperature, uh, like uh, to, to to gauge temperature, I I wouldn't call that cheating. But yeah, that's definitely cheating. Okay, well, fair enough. I, I personally, I think latte art, and the reason I haven't spent time perfecting it is because as a as an engineer, I'm going to pull the functional card and say that it tastes the same, <laughs> whether the art the art the art is good or if it's rubbish like mine, it still tastes the same. So that's that's it. That's that's the quality of my result. There you go. So anyway, it's fine. Um, and one other little quick point about the whole artwork thing. Uh, I heard someone say once on an espresso shop that they had latte art on it, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, hang on, no, 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 that's espresso art on the crema. It's not latte art. Technically, it's called espresso mm. art. It's only latte art if you add milk. Anyhow, the mud. So, at the end of all of that, and as you say, in video form, it's probably a lot better than um, well, not a lot better, but certainly it's a. Uh, it's more visual, oddly, because it's video. Anyway, <laughs> um, and I made a video of myself making a cup of coffee. A bunch of uh, fans of the show had asked me to do this ages ago, so I did it anyway, and I posted it on YouTube. It has an enormous number of views. I mean, it's it's. I think it's like really? yeah, no, eight. I think. Um, 
<laughs> no one cares. So if you are, dear listener, if you care enough to have a made it this far in this episode and b want to see me making which a is cup unlikely, of coffee, hey, it's pos- It could happen. Come on now. Uh, anyhow, stay positive. Positive thinking. Uh, anyway, so have check it out if you want, and if nothing else, uh, you can you can have at me and tell me everything that uh, I could be doing better. And I'm sure there's plenty, but that's okay, other than the latte art, which I've already accepted that I suck at. So, that's okay. Um, any uh, any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? Oh, man. I was just getting started. Um, <laughs> it's just an hour and how much in? Um, well, yeah. I guess we can go back to what I said in the beginning. Like With espresso, it's a lot about consistency of everything. And the more consistent you can get, the better the results um, also cleanliness not just the steam wand but like everything in your equipment keep it as clean as possible um, and just like yeah as a as a cautionary tale or something like do not go into home espresso unless you want a new hobby that's that's it yeah, that's good advice and I think that in the end the other thing to remember is that uh, when you say clean everything um, do make sure you keep an eye on descaling it and make sure you do if if your machine does need to be back flushed every now and then. Uh, so I like my particular model, and I think a lot of them do have this option where you have a chemical cleaning tablet that you basically put in a, a blind behind the group head, so that you basically you back flush the um, back through the group head and the shower screen to make sure that there's no accumulated buildup. Like take the shower screen mm-hmm. off from time to time and clean the gunk out of that as well. Yeah, you know, all, all stuff like that. Like if you if you treat your machine with respect, then it will serve you for a long time. Yeah, and um, faithfully, right? And I and and you can notice the degradation over a period of time. I found my uh, my steaming has improved significantly since I descaled my machine a couple of months ago. So it was gradually, gradually, gradually taking a little bit longer and a little bit longer. It adds up, and you notice it eventually. So you descale the machine. You know, things things will improve. It'll get back to where it was when you got it. And if you take care of it, then you'll get years of good uh, service out of it. So, absolutely agree. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's a it's a nice hobby for a technical person, I guess, to have if you like coffee, obviously, um, because you can play around uh, a lot. You can uh, play around with different variables. What I recommend, not just for espresso, but for any coffee, is to try to keep uh, all variables the same and just change one. And this is like once you have uh, scales, you can, uh, for example, have always the same amount of coffee going in and always the same amount of coffee going out and just change the temperature and do like three, four different shots and like uh, try them out uh, side by side and write down notes, for example. And then you find the perfect temperature. Then you do the same with like grind sizes and time and like whatever. Just, yeah, it's it's fun to play around uh, if you enjoy this sort of thing, I guess. Absolutely. All righty. Well, yeah, if you'd like to talk more about this, you can reach me on the Fediverse at uh, chigi at engineer.space or you can follow engineered underscore net on Twitter to see specific uh, show specific announcements. And uh, recently started a YouTube channel. And <laughs> yeah, if you're interested in that, and you can also have a look at uh, a link in YouTube of me making a cup of coffee, like I said, um, if you want to. Yeah, a chuckle. It's all good. <laughs> uh, if you're enjoying Pragmatic and you want to support the show, you, uh, you can via Patreon at patreon.com slash John Chigi, all one word, uh, with a thank you to all of our patrons and a special thank you to our silver producers, Carsten Hansen and John Whitlow, with an extra special thank you to our gold producer, known only as R. 
Patron rewards include a named thank you on the website, a named thank you at the end of episodes, access to raw, detailed show notes, as well as ad-free, high-quality releases of every episode, with patron audio now also available via individual breaker audio feeds. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, there's lots of great rewards. And beyond that, it's all really, really appreciated. And beyond that, there's lots of other ways to help, like leaving a rating or review on iTunes, favoriting the episode, uh, in your podcast player app or sharing the episode or the show with your friends or via social. All those things will help other people to discover the show and can make a huge difference too. I'd also like to thank Clubhouse once again for sponsoring the Engineered Network. If you're looking for an easy-to-use software development project management solution that everyone can use, remember, specifically visit this URL, clubhouse, or one word, .io slash 10 the word to check it out and give it a try. It'll surprise you just how easy it can be. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network and you can find it at engineered.network along with other great shows like Causality. That's a solo podcast I do that looks at the cause and effect of major events and disasters in history, including Bhopal, Deepwater Horizon and the Columbia Space Shuttle, Concorde and lots and lots more. Causality is on track to overtake this show. It keeps, it keeps growing in popularity. So if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you do give it a listen. So if you'd like to get in touch with Miha, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, mate? Twitter or um, Instagram or my uh, podcast, Parallel Passion, I guess, if you're interested in this sort of thing. I also had an interview with you. So, um, yeah, I guess. But I think it will be easier if you just follow the link in the show notes because uh, you probably can spell Mika Rekar when I say Excellent. All right, cool. Thank you very much. And, uh, and once again, a special thank you to our patrons and a big thank you to everyone for listening this far. Mm, appreciate it. And... Um, as always, uh, thank you, Miha, for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. This was, uh, this was fun. Thank you. Yeah, but uh, seriously, getting getting scales is really nice. Yeah, I got to try it. I mean, it's not it's not expensive. Hey, I mean, I can because uh, the 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 grinder that I've got has actually got a removable. Um, it's like it clips on with a magnet. You can actually remove this tray out of the bottom. I don't think it was specifically designed for weighing, but if you took that out and it was clean mm. and you and you you teared your your scale with that on it, you put that back in the machine dose out how much you think it is and then put it on the scale you could then remove a few grounds here and there until it was the right weight you know mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be hard mm -hmm. it's just really the cost of the scale the rest of it should be straightforward so you know one of these days uh, do you have any scales yeah. you'd particularly recommend because i 
I so the ones that I have are too expensive unless you're an idiot. <laughs> uh, but there is, uh, but, but they look really nice. They're like, um, okay, I'll, I'll paste this. So it's called Asaya Luna, okay. um, or Akaya. I don't know how I pronounce it, but it's like it looks like an Apple product, okay. right? It's um, it's definitely an Apple-like okay. product. Cool. So you have this, but the ones I would recommend you is called is from Brewista. So this is Brewista Smart Scale. This is one I used to have. Okay. Um, yep, yep. And it's great. It's it has exactly the same functionality as Lunar. I I even think it it has the same chipset. I'm pretty sure it's exactly the same. Only it looks like uh, a cheaper product, even though it's not cheap. <laughs> Ninety dollars. Um, what's the other one you sent me? The Lunar. You said that one's the... Yeah, Lunar is like 250 Oh, that's nice. <laughs> it looks nice, it right? It looks very <laughs> nice. Yes, it does. Oh, man. My wife would flip if I told her that I spent $225 <laughs> on a coffee scale. She'd be like, seriously? Yeah. Are you yeah, kidding yeah. me? <laughs> she would go mental. Yeah, but getting like getting good scales, I think, is uh, essential because then you can um, like then you don't do it by by time or by um, just gauging how how much coffee you have, but you you keep it consistent and then it's uh, easier to find out um, just what to do with your. Grounds. So how do you how do you tip the? So you must have a container for putting for weighing them in, and then you have to tip that into the porta filter. How do you tip that into the porta filter? Yeah, I. I it just yeah, I have like a old yogurt cup. Oh, it's just plastic cup. Okay, I, uh, there there is not a two hundred and twenty five dollar yeah. funnel or something. Just checking. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, sure there I'm is. sure there is too. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's just um, okay, cool. I was just checking. I was just checking. You know, because you can never tell. It's yeah, no, no, I just ask. have like a simple plastic okay. cup. Uh, I, I put uh, beans in there. I weigh it out. Then I spray it with uh, some water. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put it in the the grinder and then I grind it out because you know also this grinder grinds ninety grams in like a second and a half. Whoa! Um, which tells you it's not a grinder that's meant for home use. No, right? that's that's hardcore. That's that's <laughs> hardcore. That's a lot. It's like it's an industrial yeah. grinder. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I I love it. It's it it makes it. It makes everything more complicated now, and it takes like uh, making espresso takes way longer than it used yep. to take. Um, but I, yeah, I like it a lot. 